Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are indeed only two paths in this life. Now, the pagan world around us may falsely claim that there are many paths that lead to the same end, but that same end for them, they believe, is nothingness. Sure, they may claim that some form of spiritual bliss awaits them, but what they truly believe is that nothingness awaits them and nothing more. What does Scripture teach? What does Paul lay out for us in our epistle reading this morning? Paul lays out that there are not many paths in this life, nor is there only one path that leads only to nothingness. He lays out that there are two paths, the path of life and the path of destruction. Now, he lays out this argument in two separate ways, and so we'll look at both of those and try to follow along with Paul's rhetorical argument that he is making. But the first way that he lays it out is with two ways of walking. Walking as the example you have in us, or walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul begins our text by writing, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's a rather bold statement by Paul. Why is he so bold as to say, walk is in the example you have in us? Would we be so bold to say that about ourselves? We should be. We should be living our lives in a way that we can say, join in imitating me. This is precisely why we as the church observed All Saints Day last Sunday. We are to give thanks to God for those who have faithfully run the race that was set before them and now rest from their labors. This includes the life of Paul, the life of the other apostles, the life of your grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, or anyone else who walked out their life of faithfulness and now rest from their labors. We are not the first Christians to walk in the midst of a pagan world. There is a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, those who have sinned, those who have, been, who have repented, and those who have now been led out of this veil of tears. But this imitation does not pertain only to those who have gone before us and now rest from their labors. It includes those around you. Your mother, your father, brother, sister, spouse, your pastor. Join in imitating the faithful Christians among you. The second way of walking that Paul lays out is walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. And of these, there certainly is no lack. Paul writes that there are many, and this is of no surprise to us. But as Paul writes, he writes with tears. 
He's not in tears because of his current imprisonment, but rather he writes in tears for the enemies of the cross of Christ are many. There is a great multitude of them. And of these enemies, Paul gives four markers that identify them. One, their end is destruction. Two, their God is their belly. Three, they glory in their shame. And four, their minds are set on earthly things. He begins these markers with their end, destruction. Their end is not nothingness as they claim. It's not as, one, as though one moment you're awake, alive, breathing, seeing, thinking, and then the next poof, screen turns black and the credits roll. In fact, there is something that awaits for them, and that is destruction. Those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ have their end of destruction. But when their loved ones have died, what do they say? Those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. You all have heard undoubtedly things such as, they live on in my hearts, or I saw a butterfly fly past my window and I knew it was Aunt Judy coming to check in on me. That is what they believe. They cope with that belief of nothingness in these absurd statements and beliefs. But for those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. The second marker of the enemies is that their God is their belly. That is, that is which they worship is their own belly, their own fleshly and sinful desires. Their bellies call out and demand that they worship it, and those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ fall down and worship to all the desires that the belly would have for them. What are these desires? Any number of sinful desires that we have, those desires that are not good, right, and in accord with Scripture. This is, in fact, the religion of our day, that whatever is desirable is good. How did that work for Eve? The fruit of the tree was certainly desirable to her eyes, but was it good? No. And when she did worship the God of her belly, it demanded even more of her that she would then take that fruit and give it to the belly of her own husband, thus bringing death. This is, in fact, the religion of our day, that whatever is desirable is good. How did that work for David? Bathsheba was certainly desirable to his eyes, but was she good? No. And when he did give in to those desires, when he did fall down in worship, the belly demanded even more of him, that he then lie, deceive, and try to cover up that sin. And then when that didn't work, the belly demanded that he then send Uriah off to certain death. This is, in fact, 
the religion of our day, that whatever is desirable is good. How has that worked for you? Sin is alluring, and our bellies will demand more and more of us until ultimately we are given as a slave to our own bellies and its own sinful desires. That's precisely why the old Adam in us, our sinful bellies, should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. That's why we make the sign of the cross both in the morning and in the evening, to daily put to death those desires of our flesh. And when our bellies would demand that we satisfy its desires, we put to death the desires of gluttony, whether that's the gluttony of food, possessions, or anything of the like. The third marker of the enemies of the cross of Christ is that they glory in their shame. What is it that we as Christians are to glory in? We're to glory in the cross of Christ, to glory in the love of God and the love of all things that are good as laid out in the Ten Commandments for us. What are we to be ashamed of? The sinful desires of our bellies. But the enemies of the cross of Christ turn these two on their head, and they make the cross of Christ something to be ashamed of. And they make their sinful human desires something to glory in. Paul hit the nail on the head whenever he said that the enemies of the cross of Christ are many. The ways of this world flaunt that which they should be ashamed of, for it is indeed shameful, wicked, and evil for a man to think that he is a woman, to dress, act, and mutilate himself in order to pretend to be one. It is indeed shameful for a woman to put to death her own child while still in the womb. This is what man should be ashamed of but it's precisely what the world around us glories in. And where there is repentance and contrition for such sins, the blood of Christ certainly does cover that. They are forgiven. But in the world, there seems to be not much repentance for such atrocities. No shame, no sorrow. The fourth and final marker of the enemies of the cross of Christ are those who have their minds set on earthly things. And this point actually transitions us into the second way that Paul speaks about the way of life and the way of destruction. If you'll recall, the first way is a way of walking, walking as enemies or walking as the example you have in us. Now, the second way that he, lead, or he explains this path is those who have their minds set on earthly things and those who have their minds set on heaven. Those who have their minds set on earthly things 
are those who satisfy the God of their bellies. They live for today, and they follow the whims of their flesh. We are not to have our eyes on our earthly and carnal desires. We are to have our eyes on heaven, our eyes on the one who has created us and redeemed us, and who has given us our heavenly citizenship. Now, this citizenship is not one that is natural born, for we are born as citizens of Satan and his domain. But it is through the waters of holy baptism that the Lord has claimed you as his own, put his mark upon you, and made you citizens of heaven. We are of the world, but not We are in the world, but not of the world. Sorry. We have God-given vocations in this life that we are to carry out while we are in this world. But when the world around us would fall into further and further corruption and dismay, we are to continue to have our eyes on heaven. That is where we have our salvation and our hope. This is what our Lord speaks of in our gospel reading this morning when he says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. You are God's own. You are the things of God that he is speaking of. For you have been claimed as his own in holy baptism, marked as his own and you are to render your lives to the one who has created you, (coughs) redeemed you, and made you citizens of his kingdom. And with your eyes toward heaven, we await the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. That is, when Christ comes again in glory, he will raise our bodies that have been corrupted by sin and have succumbed to death. And he will transform them to be like his glorious body. By what power will he do this? By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. He who is Lord over all is Lord over all the grave, is Lord over your grave. Your grave will not be a final resting place, but a temporary one. For when the Lord comes back, he will raise your bodies to new life. He will make your bodies as ones that are perfected, ones whose bellies do not demand the sinful desires of this world, ones whose bellies are ever towards the desires of God, where our eyes are ever on him, singing his praises. That is what awaits us. And so we have hope. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.